Hello, and welcome to Not For The Dinner, Dinner Table. Table. No pops oh, again, please. Still no pops, but I've got a body. Oh, no, yeah. I can do this instead. Hang on, hang oh, on. Oh, am I can. The Dinner Ooh. Table. Am I can. Hang on. Let me do it. Let me do it as well, but I have to use a pen because my little nails are too short. Hang on. Not For The Dinner table! <laughs> Cheers! Cheers! Mine wasn't as good a crack as yours, was it? Oh, that's nice, that is. Oh, blood orange and black currant cider. Yeah, Ooh, nice. that does sound delish. I might have to make a special trip to Aldi mm. just to get those. Yesterday, we had a mango and clementine one, and it was Ooh. lush. Yeah. It was really nice. What are they, ciders? Yeah, they're called Alskas. Alskas. Uh, so, Dave, I've got a new mic. Andy's actually set it up for me and it works. It's working. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't sound like I'm dying a tin mine. <laughs> no, you don't. Fabulous work. So, should I do a little intro? Yeah. Welcome, listeners, to the realm of sugar balls. High strainness, strangeness. <laughs> Fuck's sake! Welcome, listeners, to the realm of sugar balls. High strangeness and thankfulness to the Norse gods. We are a podcast that talks about all things we find strange and interesting. We go from mythical legends to conspiracy, with sides of ghosts and hauntings. All with a sprinkling of aliens and cryptids. Woohoo! Well done. That's awesome. Welcome along, everybody. Yeah, welcome, welcome, welcome. Absolutely. We hope your so COVID lockdown's going all right. Oh, yeah, lockdown continues. If you're in the UK, slightly eased. Slightly, but not, but not really. enough for our liking. No, although we're going to meet up for a social distancing park walk or something, aren't we, on Saturday? Yes, absolutely. We will be doing that, which will be nice. Yeah, it will be. So have you had a good week, Dave? I've had a good week. It's been a busy week, but it's been a good week. Good, I'm glad. How's your week been? Well, it's been good. Been a little <laughs> bit... <laughs> Stressful. I think we we both signed a little both, bit fraud. We're both lying. <laughs> <laughs> we both had really shit weeks. <laughs> she's she's not wrong. She's absolutely not wrong. It's Dear. been shit. <laughs> yeah, been a bit of shit. That. She is. Let's have a big swig. Hmm. So, listeners, if your weeks in quarantine is shit as well, just remember, <laughs> you're not alone. <laughs> you're not. You really are not. Oh, dear. But it'll be over soon. Yes, it will be over soon. We will remain with hope. Yes. Have you got any recommendations this week, Safe? No, I've got no recommendations and I've got no news. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Oh, no, I did have a recommendation. I thought about it uh, earlier, and I can't remember what it is. You tell me yours, and I'll try and remember mine. So we've been watching Afterlife on Netflix, which is the Ricky Gervais sitcom. Oh, yes. 
which is really good. And I'm not a huge Ricky Gervais fan. No, I was going to say, I'm not massively keen on him. No, I'm not. But it's really, really, really good. Is it? Yeah, it's about a man whose wife has died. And it's about how he's dealing with grief and things. Yeah. Um, But obviously with sort of Ricky Gervais's wit. So it's actually quite funny. Um, so it's sad and funny at the same time so sometimes you're like oh god I can't watch any more of this it's too sad and then in the next Mm. minute you're laughing really loudly so I'd recommend that what about um, normal people have you watched that no have you no but everyone's banging on about it I know is it on um, iPlayer or something I don't know I'll have a look and we should watch it and then we can let you know next time whether it's shit yeah. or not. <laughs> Absolutely. And the other thing I watched this week was Christopher Robin on Disney+. Plus. Oh, I haven't watched that yet. Is it really good? You, you will love that. Aww. It's so, so sweet and so endearing. And yeah, it's, it's lovely. It's all about like how you can forget sort of the whimsy and Mm. magicalness of childhood and when you get bogged down by adult life and yeah it's really good really nice that's like us this week fuck off adult life (laughs) yeah do one we don't we need it we don't want it no And I would just like to take a moment, if we may, Mm -hmm. to mourn Eurovision because it's a year ago since our Eurovision special and this year, this weekend, we will not be watching the Eurovision Song Contest from Rotterdam. And I for one... Together. Or together. No, we won't even be together. I don't think we've not been together for Eurovision since like 2009. Yeah. I, I like I I can't believe it. I'm devastated. We're gonna have to have a Zoom. I think we should have a Zoom and dress up in our favourite Eurovision costumes and sing yeah. Eurovision songs. Yeah. Well, there's gonna be pissed. some stuff on the telly, isn't there? But it's just not gonna be a contest. On Telebox. On Telebox. Maybe we should make our own little quiz cards. Yeah. Okay. That'd be nice. Lovely. So that's my recommendations. And seeing as you haven't got any news, I do have some news. So oh, over wonderful. to our lovely Not For The Dinner Table news singer. Oh, this is a good one. Who's it this week? Yo, 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 yo. No news is good news, but some news might be nice news. Not For The Dinner Table news. Amazing. It's Thank our you. friend Kitsy. It is our friend Kitsy. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing that, Kitsy. We really appreciate it. You've probably heard us talk about it before, but do go and check out Oddity Files of the podcast and also Kitsy's newest podcast that she's released called Miss Murder, which is a true crime podcast all about, I think, female killers. Oh, I'm going to so download cool. that this week. And yeah. then next time we record, it can be my recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it can. I love how you're planning all your recommendations already in this episode. Yeah, yeah, I am. 
So the first bit of news is actually what I sent over to Sophie thinking that she would use it as her bit of news, but she hasn't. So really good job that I also wrote it into my um, outline for this episode. Because I thought that that's what you were going to do. I was like, oh yeah, great news. (laughs) So firstly, a big cat has been spotted in Gloucestershire. So I know. Reported in Gloucestershire Live, Linda Elliott of Emerson's Green spotted a large animal the size of a black Labrador, which began to stalk her in the countryside whilst she was on a walk. She didn't notice how close it was to her until she looked over and it was there. And I quote, I looked over and I thought, oh dear, that's not a deer. (laughs) I mean, I love you, Linda. I love you. (laughs) Loads of love for Linda. I think we should try and get her on the show. She's local. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get her on. She she observed (laughs) the big cat jumping and pouncing in the long grass. And she left the field field after the cat actually stalked her for a period of time. Oh, Lord. Bet she shit her pants. I know. So she came home quite nervous and then didn't go back to the field for a period of time. But then when she did return, she returned with her husband and they saw another big cat together. This time it was like a tawny brown big cat rather than a black big cat. WTF? I know, she saw two. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. But then this naturist came on at the end of the article and was like, it's because of quarantine that all of the animals are, are venturing into more urban areas because people mm. aren't there, so they think it's safe. Yeah. But if I've certainly noticed, I mean, you've probably got loads of wildlife where you are anyway. Yeah. I've certainly noticed a lot more um, birds around oh, the yeah. garden. Yeah. Well, loads of birds. We have got um, a fox that lives up behind us, which we've seen. And we've also seen um, two deers up in the uh, foresty bit behind the house. Oh, I tell you what, there's something about seeing a deer. Oh, it's special, isn't it? It is special. It's magical. Yeah. I love going up into the woods and spotting a deer and it's like, it's a deer. It's a deer. Like, you don't get that about any other animal, really. No, like, oh, it's a duck. It's a duck. <laughs> <laughs> Although, when I take Ernie to feed the ducks, he's like that. He's like, Mummy, it's a duck, the duck. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he did actually, he spotted the deers up, up at the back. So, he's got little eagle eyes. Yes. Well done, Ernie. Well done. Good for you, Ernest. So my second bit of news is just a bit is a bit weird. And so I'm sending you the photo right now. So this was in the mirror, and I had to share it. Headline is Woman gives herself strange fake tan makeover to tackle lockdown boredom. Oh yes, she does. (laughs) Shana Lakeland decided to tape sections of her body. Oh my lord, yeah. To the untaped sections. That is amazing. This resulted in her having striped fake tan across her whole body, including her face. And I just think it's absolutely brilliant. I love that. That is hilarious. So listeners, what have you been doing to tackle the lockdown boredom? Let us know at notforthedinnertable at gmail.com. <laughs> that is fabulous. Yes. And that's all my news. Well, 
Watson. That was lovely news. Sorry I didn't have the name. Must try harder. <laughs> Tick you get, PG. <laughs> yeah. You get um, requires improvement. Yes, I do. <laughs> More effort needed. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> ah, Lord, never mind. So what are we talking about tonight, Dave? We're talking about disaster. Uh, disasters. Indeed. Disasters, yes. Inspired by current events. Yes. Uh, we are thinking about all sorts of different disasters that have happened. And I think we've both got three little short stories of disasters that we're going to share with you yes yes so should we just take it in turns yeah i like it when we do that amazing so first let's talk a little bit about what a disaster is and how they are broken down into different classes the united nations defines a disaster as a serious disruption of the functioning of a community or society which involve widespread human material economic or environmental impacts oh how dull how dull <laughs> there are four types of or four classifications of disaster natural disasters i so love these a natural be, disaster absolutely they can be geophysical hydrological climatological or meteorological or even biological all the illogicals all illogical (laughs) (laughs) Um, there can be man-made disasters so that can be environmental degradation pollution or accidents Mm -hmm. complex emergencies so food insecurities epidemics armed conflict or displaced populations that's what we're in now well, no, we're in the last one. Oh, are we? Which is pandemic emergency. <gasps> oh, no. Because it's affecting that is the what whole we're, yeah. world. Pandemic. Pandemic. Mm. So those are the types of disasters. So do you want to go first with one of your disasters, Safe? Okay, Safe. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm only, I'm only asking you to go first to make sure you've actually done something. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I fucking have. <laughs> Are you going to be like, my first disaster is a tsunami that happened in 2007. Over to you, yeah. Dave. <laughs> That's literally exactly what I've got written down. <laughs> How did you know? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm going to talk about the Sharky Dadri mid-air collision. Oh. Have you heard about this? No. So, I probably just butchered that name. Sharky Dadri. Sharky Dadri. Right, anyway, (laughs) move on. On November the 12th, 1996, two planes crashed head-on 14,000 feet above Sharkadadri, a village just outside New Delhi. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
The planes involved were Saudi Arabian's airline Boeing 747-100B traveling from New Delhi to Saudi and Kazakhstan Airlines Ilshin IL-76 from Shkiment, Kazakhstan to New Delhi. Probably well butchered done. all of those names. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from New Delhi. Uh, <laughs> no, it's actually pronounced New Delhi. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the terrible crash occurred when the Kazakhstan plane descended to 14,000 feet rather than the specified 15,000 feet. Unfortunately, the Ilshin crashed straight into the Boeing's left wing. All 37 people on the Kazakh flight were killed, as well as the 312 passengers and crew on the Boeing 747. Oh my gosh. This mid-air crash is the deadliest in human history. Wow. So, Dave, what do you think the top reasons for plane crashes are in the world? So, firstly, I'm actually pleased that we can't fly anywhere at the moment because now I'm (laughs) petrified. (laughs) I just thought it'd make you shit your pants. (laughs) Um, And then coming back to your earlier question, birds in engines. What, you think that's number one? I think it's on the list. So the uh, so fifty percent of plane crashes occur because of pilot error. Twenty percent occur because of mechanical failure. Yeah. Ten percent occur because of weather. Yeah. Another ten percent occur because of human sabotage. Oh. And the last ten percent is human error. Oh, so like any human, not just the pilot. Yeah, any human. So like uh, the people that were putting together the plane, the people who were in the um, air towers telling everyone else what to do, traffic oh, controllers, okay. yeah, ground Gosh, staff, so no anybody. Could be anybody. No birds. <laughs> <laughs> they get a rough rough rap then, birds. They do. Yeah, but that's Gosh. my first story. I love Deadly it. plane crash. That's brilliant. Well, no, it's not brilliant. It's awful. It's not brilliant. But how <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah, wrong choice of words. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so, my first story, Soph, is yeah. the year without summer. Ooh. So, have you heard of this? Yes. <laughs> So many Brits will feel that we don't get a summer most years. Usually it's just a couple of days of sunshine before the general grey weather returns. Yeah. Although this this year has been bloody marvellous. But it would be because we can't go anywhere. But that's all right then. Could sit in my garden, (laughs) get a tan. That's it. What what about those that don't have gardens? Well, they can stick their head out the window. (laughs) They could do this side first and then they could do their... (laughs) (laughs) exactly however due to severe climate abnormalities that caused the global temperature to drop by 0.4 to 0.7 degrees celsius 
or 0.7 to 1.25 degrees Fahrenheit for our lovely US listeners, summer temperatures were the coldest on record between the years of 1766 and the year 2000. So between that period of time in 1816, the temperatures in summer were the coldest. Oh, God. The change in temperature resulted in major food shortages across the Northern Hemisphere, and it became known as the Year Without Summer, though other people called it the Poverty Year and 1800 and froze to death. Oh, Lord. Which is my favourite. 1800 and froze to death. Love yeah. it. <laughs> but why did this happen? And what caused the abnormally low temperature? And did the time-travelling kids from Mars have anything to do with it? I bet they bloody well did. I bet it was Obama. Is <laughs> <laughs> that bloody Obama? That bloody Obama, time-travelling when he was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> so, this was classed at the time as an agricultural disaster by historian John D. Post, but it is now believed that the anomaly was predominantly a volcanic winter event. Wow. Caused by a massive eruption of Mount Tambora on the island of Sumbawa in Indonesia. The volcano had experienced centuries of dormancy, but started to erupt on the 5th of April, 1815. The eruptions could be heard uh, from over 2,600 kilometres away or 1,600 miles. That's insane. Can you imagine? 10 billion tonnes of igneous rock were thrown into the atmosphere and ash fell over 1,300 kilometres or 810 miles away. I remember learning about igneous rock at school. Igneous. It's a pumice stone, isn't it? Pumice stone. It's a pumice stone, yeah. (laughs) Good for your feet. (laughs) They were the most powerful eruptions in human recorded history. Bloody hell. I know. But Dave, the volcano was in Indonesia. How could it affect the climate of the Northern Hemisphere a year later? I was just going to ask you that. That's exactly (laughs) what I was going to say as well. (laughs) Well... The gases and dust particles thrown into the atmosphere during volcanic eruptions have influences on climate. Most of the particles spewed from volcanoes cool the planet by shading incoming solar radiation. The cooling effect can last for months to years, depending on the characteristics of the eruption. In 1816, the temperatures plummeted, and in the UK, this resulted in failed harvests creating famine across the country. It was reported that families in Wales would travel long distances just to beg for food. Oh, no. In England, they reported the 11th coldest year on record since 1659, as well as the third coldest summer and the coldest July ever. Oh, bloody hell. In the US, a persistent dry fog was observed in the eastern states. What's a dry fog? It's like... Dry. Not wet. <laughs> it's like, you know when sometimes you can go out in a fog? You know when we went up the h- hill? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it was like all dampy. In hay on wine. Yeah, it's the reverse of that. It's not a damp fog. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> so the fog reddened and dimmed the sunlight, meaning that people could view sunspots on the sun with the naked eye. Oh, nice. Yeah. It wasn't so much the weather itself that was the problem in this disaster, but the impact it had on the food for the population. I can only imagine what would happen today if a volcano erupted to the degree of Mount Tambora. I I would think we'd all starve. Because we still do make a lot of food here. We import loads and loads and loads. Yeah. If it affected a large swathe of the Northern mm. Hemisphere, we'd all be like having to pay 100 quid. 100 quid for a broccoli. Well, I've got loads of broad beans in, so you'd be all right for a broad bean. <laughs> we'd be we'd be well in for a broad bean. No, because they wouldn't they wouldn't bean. grow. Oh no. I'd be well pissed off then because I put loads <laughs> in. <laughs> you'd be straight over to Mike Tambora, wouldn't you? We're giving I'd it be a right in. <laughs> you'd be erupting. <laughs> I'd be like, my best friend's a hoe. I've been putting loads of effort in with that hoe. Getting around them veggie patches. <laughs> yes. So that's my year without summer. That's lovely, Dave. Well done. That was great. Thank you. <laughs> I'm never drinking these passion fruit martini things again. I think they've sent me funny. Next, Dave, I'm going to talk about the exploding lake. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, as you've just said, we know volcanoes explode, but what about lakes? I didn't know they exploded. Well, some, well, one of them does, (laughs) for sure. In 1986, on August 21st, that is exactly what happened. Lake Nyos in Cameroon suffered a limnic eruption. What's a limnic eruption? A limnic eruption is a phenomenon which occurs when carbon dioxide suddenly explodes from deep within water. It can suffocate humans, wildlife and livestock all around. Because the carbon dioxide forms a cloud then... And that starts to spread over like miles and miles. <sighs> Craziness. When this explosion happened, a geyser of water shot 300 feet high, wow. causing a small tsunami which was 80 meters tall. In a lake. In a lake. <clears throat> Followed by a carbon dioxide blast which asphyxiated people up to 15 miles away. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's horrific. (laughs) Yeah. It killed 1,746 people. Oh, my God. Yeah, and 3,500 livestock. Wow. They think that because the lake was calm and clear... A layer formed of carbon dioxide, which built up until a small earthquake or rockfall, they think it was probably a rockfall, fell into the lake and caused this um, carbon dioxide like build up 
to explode like a balloon popping. Gosh. So it literally just went like. Um, <laughs> like what? But, <laughs> it resulted in a sudden, quick and quiet disaster. It yeah. happened at night. So the people in the villages um, who woke up heard noises and went out to look what had happened. And they Died. saw this, you know, they saw this uh, 300 foot geezer like spouting water and then all of a sudden saw this big white cloud start to form over the lake and then it started traveling slowly towards the villages and it spread out 15 miles so obviously loads of people were asleep so they couldn't get out of the villages um the people that were awake got out of the villages and tried to get to higher ground some of them passed out because of the asphyxiation but then later on woke up but it caused burns and blistering and all sorts of nasty like side effects after they oh woke up God. you know it's horrendous it's horrific <clears throat> so this has only happened that we know of in two other lakes which is lake kivu and lake monon being the other two but both of those are in africa Oh, good. Okay. So that so all three of the lakes that have had this happen are in Africa. So no Lake Windermere. No, Windermere's okay. Seedley Ponds Lock, is fine. Loch Ness is fine. <laughs> Loch Ness Seedley is Ponds. Canet Ponds. Canet Ponds, Ponds. Mallard's Pike's all fine. <laughs> Don't go to Canet Ponds. No, I wouldn't. Um, authorities in Cameroon have now set up a degassing station, which is pipes i know pipes which are drilled into the um water into the they're the... held yeah so they're held down um into the water and they diffuse... are they held in the water <laughs> i haven't written this bit down i'm just ad-libbing and I, i'm getting confused with myself because i've had two fucking passion fruit martini things but where are they held <laughs> In the water. <laughs> They're held down in the water. <laughs> Thank you. So these big tubes were put in the water. <laughs> <laughs> and now they pump the water around to like basically agitate the the water to prevent disaster, a disaster like this ever happening again. Can they turn it into a giant whirlpool? I think they should. But I think if you went in it, you might die. If I was like a dictator yeah. of that country. Would you send people that... to the whirlpool to die? I would be like, turn on the whirlpool. <laughs> <laughs> and they would be sucked to their doom. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrendous, Dave. 1,746 yeah. people died. I know. In the whirlpool of doom. Well, no. <laughs> Not in my whirlpool of doom. <laughs> We're still talking about a lake, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah, so that's that one. I love that. Oh, good. <laughs> so I've got, a, I've got a little one next called The oh, Doors yes. of Hell. Oh. 
So this is also known as the Darvaza gas crater. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I think I have. You've probably seen pictures of it because it's quite, it's pictured quite a lot because it looks so otherworldly. Yes. Yeah. So the door to hell is a natural gas field that collapsed into a cavern and is located in Turkmenistan. Details of its. um, I think it's near Azerbaijan. It's one of like the countries that came after the fall of the Soviet Union. Okay. Details of its creation are sketchy, but the story goes that the site was identified by Soviet engineers and was originally thought to be a substantial oil field. However, they didn't find any oil. They just found natural gas. And upon drilling, the ground collapsed into the cavern that now exists. It has a diameter of 69 metres and is about 30 metres deep. Mm. So unlike the lake that you've just described, all of these engineers were awake and they immediately thought that the collapse would release poisonous gas. Ah. And so decided to burn it off so that they could make the area safe. Oh, my God. So the geologists set the gas on fire, expecting that it would burn out in a couple of weeks. Mm. This man-made disaster is thought to have been burning continuously since 1971. Oh, my Jesus. That's 49 years. That's insane. Can you believe that? No. But it really does look like a mouth or a gateway or a doorway to hell because it's just like this inferno in this cavern. And it just keeps going and keep going and keep going. Yeah, it just doesn't stop. And they can't put it out? No, I don't think so. Not safely. Oh, my God. So in 2013, the explorer and storm chaser, George Coronis, was the first person to enter the depths of the crater descending to the bottom of the 30 metres where he collected soil samples. How did he get in there? I think he must have, like, abseiled. In a in a big fire suit? You would hope so. Well, uh, well he couldn't have gone in nudie-pudie, could he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been a world record in the half. Bit like a little crisp. Singed. Singed. Oh, dear. I know. So the Turkmenistan government are still trying to access the natural gas in the area, um, but the president hopes that the uh, doors to hell themselves will become a hotspot for tourists as the surrounding area is very famous for wild desert camping. Well, I mean, I want to go there. I mean, I really want to see it. That'd be amazing. And we like camping, so... Yeah, And just a little pop culture reference. Yes. The Doors to Hell were featured in the promo campaign for the 2014 Godzilla film. Ooh. Yeah. Love it. If you saw that, like on a Godzilla film poster, you'd think, oh, that's CGI. Yeah. But it's not. It's real. I'm going to Google that in a minute. (laughs) Google the shit out of it. I am. Find the Nat Geo uh, photos because they're amazing. Yeah, I will. National Geographic always take a good photo, don't they? Oh, yeah, they're the best. I've been watching loads of their stuff on uh, the Disney Plus thing. Not enough to recommend it, though, at the start of the podcast. <laughs> you know. That's what I should have done. I'm going put to that, put that on my list. <laughs> <laughs> 
That was great, Dave. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm going to dive into my last little one. It's another volcano. Oh. And it's a mega famous one. Oh. <gasps> Do you know which one it is? I'm going to say Vesuvius. Yes! yes. I'm talking about Pompeii. Pompeii. So, uh, I'm not going to go and do a big uh, deep dive into this because I really feel like we could actually come back and revisit it because it's so fascinating. Yeah. Like Pompeii. Um, so, I'm going to give you some facts. Pompeii is a Roman city. Fact me right up. I'm going to fact you right off. (laughs) Pompeii is... (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Uh, Pompeii is a Roman city in Campania, Italy, 14 miles from Naples. It sits on the southeastern base of Mount Vesuvius. It was built on a spur formed by prehistoric lava flow. Wow. Now, there should have been their first clue. But do you think they knew it was lava flow? <laughs> well, perhaps not. No. They probably didn't even know Vesuvius was a volcano. Mm. I didn't realise it was so close to Naples. Yeah, because you can see uh, on the in the Bay of Naples, you can look across and you see Pompeii, don't you? Oh. I I was, I'm going to be really um, dense here. I always thought... That Pompeii was its own island. No. It isn't. Not true. It's part of Italy. I failed geography. No, I thought it was part of Italy, but I thought it was like its own island. No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. No. Uh, Pompeii was totally destroyed along with (laughs) her... (laughs) The end. (laughs) <laughs> what a disaster. <laughs> what a disaster. Along with Herculania, Stabi, and others by a violent eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 79 CE. Wow. I didn't know that Herculania was... It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Pompeii is so hugely famous today because of the circumstances of its destruction. Because of its position, the city was prime Vesuvius meat. (laughs) (laughs) That volcano was gunning for Pompeii. It was gunning for it. It was going to have it and it had it. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely no more (laughs) passion fruit cocktails for you. (laughs) No, no more. On August 24th, ash and debris began to pour onto Pompeii quickly covering the city to a depth of three metres. Early morning on the 25th of August, pyroclastic material, hot rock fragments, gases and trapped air moved quickly, hugging the ground, covering the city. Due to the speed of the disaster, Pompeii and Roman life at that time was meticulously captured like a freeze frame of city life. People literally dropped their tools and ran. The ruins were discovered in the late 16th century and are still producing new finds to this day. 
At the time of the explosion, Pompeii supported between 10,000 and 20,000 people, but only 2,000 people survived. Uh, only 2,000 people died, sorry. Wow. So, so a, a lot, lot of them got them, away. Yeah, a lot of them escaped. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's good. Yeah, it's really good. But yeah, I mean, like, you would just absolutely shit your pants, wouldn't you? Oh my gosh, so much. Yeah. I'm glad that we don't have any volcanoes in the UK. No, thank goodness. Yeah, I'm pleased about that. Yeah, but actually there is a, a, I'm going to give you a recommendation now, is that all right? (laughs) Yeah, why not? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just throwing them in. Finally Uh, got there. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a really good book called Pompeii, written by Robert Harris. And okay. it's absolutely phenomenal. It's wow. it's so, so, so good. It's like a detailed um, diary of a Roman man living in Pompeii and about how he gets through the volcanic eruption. And it's just so well written. It's brilliant. Is that what the film's based on? No. Oh. I, I really the... hope it. Yes, I have. And it's absolute shocking. <laughs> I haven't did it. It's so shit. I just saw it as a uh, reason for Kit Harrington to get his abs out. Well, that's that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but the film is not great. But the book is like, blow your mind. Amazing. It's really good. Oh. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, I think we could come back to Pompeii at some point. We absolutely could, definitely. Yeah. Ancient civilization. Wiped out. Gone. Yeah. We love an ancient civilization, don't we? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Can't get enough of them. (laughs) So, on to my last disaster. Darling. Oh, yes. I am talking about the Carrington event. Have you heard of this? Kit Carrington. (laughs) Kit Carrington. (laughs) Yes. This was the event when Kit Carrington walked around (laughs) in the nerd. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, tell me more. So the Carrington event is a solar storm that took place in 1859. It was a geomagnetic storm which took place during the solar cycle 10, which was between the years of 1855 and 1867, where a solar coronal mass ejection. Pardon? Yes. Or a CME. (laughs) A CME? A CME hit Earth's magnetosphere and induced the largest geomagnetic storm on record. Wow. Yeah. We are kind of on the cusp of solar cycle 25 at the moment. So solar cycle 24 ends sometime between mid 2019 and late to 20 late 2020 and it's really interesting cuz they can predict when the sun will be at its maximum strength during a solar cycle and then how many sunspots will be on the sun during that time. Oh. Yeah. So the reason it's called the Carrington event was because it was a, was discovered by, well, 
the white light flare of the sun was discovered by British astronomer Richard C. Carrington. The storm lasted from September the 1st to September the 2nd, and auroras were able to be seen all around the world. Oh, I love aurora. How cool is that? Yeah. So they could be seen in the Northern Hemisphere as far south as the Caribbean. Wow. So we would have definitely got some aurora in the UK. Because sometimes you can see it in Scotland every now and yeah, again, Yeah, 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 definitely. People in the United States could read a newspaper by the glow of the aurora. It was that bright. Oh, my God. Telegraph systems all over Europe and Northern America failed and some operators received electric shocks. Telegraph poles sparked and some operators could send messages with the power supply disconnected. (laughs) That's crazy. I know. In 1909, an Australian gold miner, C.F. Herbert, retold his observations. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Herbert. I had my mouse over the tea and I was like, oh God, (laughs) do I risk it? Do I risk it? (laughs) That doesn't mean you have to leave the tea out. Herbert. Your mouse is over it. In 1909, an Australian gold miner, C.F. Herbert, retold his observations in a letter to the Daily News in Perth. I was gold digging at Rokewood, about four miles from Rokewood Township, Victoria. Myself and two mates, looking out of the tent, saw a great reflection in the southern heavens at about seven o'clock. And in about half an hour, a scene of almost unspeakable beauty presented itself. Lights of every imaginable colour were issuing from the southern heavens, one colour fading away only to be give place to another, if possible more beautiful than the last. The streams mounting to the zenith, but always becoming a rich purple when reaching there and always curling round, leaving a clear strip of sky, which may be described as four fingers held at arm's length. The northern side from the zenith was also illuminated with beautiful colours, always curling round, but we but were considered to be merely a reproduction of the southern display, as all colours south and north always corresponded. It was a sight never to be forgotten and was considered at the time to be the greatest aurora recorded. The, rash, the rationalist and pantheist saw nature in her most exquisite robes, recognising the divine immanence, immutable law, cause and effect. The superstitious and the fanatical had dire forebodings and thought it was the foreshadowing of Armageddon and final dissolution. Oh, wow. How cool is that? Yeah, that is cool. But Soph, what would happen today in 2020 if a Carrington-level solar storm happened? I think we'd all love it. (laughs) I think we would all be fucked. Would we die? So nobody knows for sure how bad things will be, but the scenarios for the big one, which can hit once every 500 years, are in place. It would be powerful enough to knock out electrical and communication systems across the earth for days, months, or even years. Oh, wow. Power grids, satellites, and GPS would be frazzled whilst the internet, telephones, banking, 
and transportation would be goners. <gasps> yeah. Extreme case scenarios say that it would cost $20 trillion in damage and would take the world almost a decade to recover. Oh, wow. The director of MIT's energy initiative, Francis O'Sullivan, said an event of Carrington scale could be catastrophic if it happened tomorrow. Wow. Well, it would be bloody catastrophic on top of fucking coronavirus. (laughs) Can you imagine if they're like, yeah, lockdown's released and we're like, woohoo, fantastic. And then solar flare, solar storm happens. No. I'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm not having this 2020. No, no. (laughs) That's enough now. That's enough. You've had your fun. You've had your fun. (laughs) (laughs) Get out of it. Also, (laughs) it is important to note that the sun is watched regularly and thoroughly. So we should have some warning if an event on the same scale as a Carrington uh, event is on the way. Oh, good. But finally, and interestingly, I found this really interesting, a Carrington-level event narrowly missed Earth in July 2012. Oh! If it had hit, we still might be picking up the pieces now. Wow. And the 2012 world-ending conspiracy theorists would have had a big smile on their face. Because <laughs> can you remember, have. they thought it was going to be the end of the world, didn't they? Yeah. So. But then someone thinks it's going to be the end of the world every time. Yeah, every year. I feel fine. Oh, good. Do you get it? No. It's oh, the yeah, end I of do. The... Yeah. I get it now. <laughs> Takes me about five minutes, Dave. I know. Whirl up the dial-up. Yep. <laughs> so I would like to thank Wikipedia, Physiopedia.com, the Centre for Science Education, National Geographic, NASA Science, and ScienceAlert.com for the assistance with my stories. Thank you. I've got some thank yous too. Should I do mine? Yeah. I would like to thank Oregon State University website, allthatsinteresting.com, encyclopediabritannica.com and obviously my friend wiki (laughs) well done i loved those stories they're amazing yeah that was really good fun we had a nice mixture of man-made versus natural disasters yeah we did yeah very well done Absolutely. So uh, we've got a little bit of uh, exciting news for you, but non-exciting news for the podcast, haven't we, Dave? <laughs> I was like, where are we going with this? What's happening? <laughs> I was like, uh, yes, unfortunately, not for the dinner table is going to have to take a short hiatus. Not for long, though. For a period though. of time, because um, I am hopefully going to be moving house in the not too distant future. So we will be back as soon as possible, but um, we probably won't be back for at least a month. Um, so please bear with us. We're really sorry that we have to do this, but there's unfortunately no other way. Um, we will try and get stuff out to you as quickly as we can, but please be patient with us. Yeah. And I will try and do lots of little Instagrammy things. Fab. So thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the podcast and you want to help it grow, then tell a friend about Not For The Dinner Table. You can follow us on our social media services on Twitter at 
not uh, uh, at NFTDT. On Instagram. At not for the underscore dinner table. Or on Facebook. At not for the dinner table. You can email us on notforthedinnertable at gmail.com. You can send your versions of the Not For The Dinner Table news jingle, your listener stories, or ask us your questions. Please leave us a review wherever you found this podcast, if you have a couple of minutes, but especially on Apple Podcasts, if you use that platform. You can listen to Not For The Dinner Table wherever you find podcasts, but also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and the rest. The podcast was written and produced by <laughs> <And the rest>. us. <laughs> Sophie. And David. And the rest. And the rest. <laughs> Our logo was created by Kaylee, and you can see more of her work on Instagram at kcreatesdesign. And our music is by Chris Scott. And remember, everyone is welcome at our dinner table. Except... Yes, um, I'm going to say carbon dioxide. Yeah, I was t- I'm totally with you. Yeah. Carbon dioxide clouds. It's a killer. Or pyroclastic clouds. Or pyroclastic, yeah. Any kind of danger cloud. Or volcanoes, maybe. Yeah. Erupting no... volcanoes. No erupting volcanoes, please. <laughs> no eruptions here of the no volcano eruptions. variety. And no more passion fruit martini cocktails from Lidl. <laughs> Bye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) You need all of the passion fruit cocktails from Lidl. Well, I've got one left, so I might stay on a bit and drink drink that one. The Dinner Table is part of Britpod Scene, an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritpodScene.com or follow Britpod Scene on Twitter to find out more. Oh.